What a song. I only wish it were true, but it's not. The song made a ton of money for the singer, and it became the theme song for a cultural superstar and an animated rabbit. The song was I Believe I Can Fly, and it was for Space Jam. It was over 25 years ago when I heard the song, and the movie Space Jam included Michael Jordan and Warner Brothers' Bugs Bunny. It was more than a kid's movie. <coughs> it was popular with adults, but the song that stuck was this alto baritone voice that was just smooth as could be. And I remember first time I heard it, I believe I can fly. I believe I could touch the sky. It described my thoughts. It described my dreams as a bushy-haired, skinny, bow-legged, pigeon-toed basketball player who couldn't touch the net. My vertical jump at the time of my athletic prowess was 18 inches on a run down a hill with the wind if I got lucky. But most people think that's what faith is. If you can believe it strong enough, if you clamp down, if you focus, if you want it bad enough, if you try hard enough, if you believe in yourself, if you have enough courage or try harder or do more or blank, what's the narrative you've heard about faith? I mean, we have to understand what God's Word says about faith. So this morning, our second theme for the Advent season is faith. Advent comes from the Latin word adventus, which means arrival or coming of someone significant or a significant moment. As followers of Jesus, our life-giving hope is that God has come in the flesh. He was born supernaturally of a virgin named Mary, and it happened a long time ago, but it happened in an event called the Incarnation about the Nativity. One devotional writer said this about Advent. Advent is a time of already not yet. It's the first lap. Catch that. It's the first lap of the Messiah. Jesus who saved souls from hell, the devil, and the mastery of sin, and now has given us purpose here and now for the things we are called to do. Called to do, called works of righteousness as opposed for working for righteousness. Pretty important nuance there, but it makes all the difference in the world. The first lap has happened. In other words, we are rescued for all in an act by Jesus, once and for all on the cross and an empty grave, so that we may act humbly and confidently and by courage of the Holy Spirit. So here's the deal. Lap one reminds us that lap two is on the way. Say lap one. One, two, three. Ready? Lap one. Lap two is coming. In other words, the best is yet to come. That sets the framework for faith. The scriptures tell us in the book of Hebrews, we'll spend a lot more time next year, 2022, in the book of Hebrews, like 27 messages. That's our theme for 2022. But the book of Hebrews says this about faith. Listen. Hebrews 11, if you have your pew Bible, you can follow along. It's page 1040, or if you have your Bible, it says this. Now, faith is the confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. That's going to be pretty important as we try to understand and get our heads around faith this morning. 
For this is what the ancients were commended for, for faith. And if you skip down to verse 6, this is incredible. I was sharing with someone, I said, God's word is living and active, and there are always new things. And this is what hit me in verse 6. Listen to this. Lean in on this. And without faith, it's impossible to please God, because anyone who comes to him must believe that, one, he exists, and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. This is the part that went, boom, like just a light bulb this week. I'd always heard that, that, that verse before, and he rewards. But the words rewards is not a verb. It's a noun. Sometimes we think, oh, God's going to give this to me, and I'll be healthier and wealthier. That's called the prosperity gospel. If, if, I, if I accept Jesus, I'll be healthier and I'll have better abs. That's a fantasy. The word rewards is a noun which means he is the rewarder. For those who have faith in Christ, you get more of Jesus and who he is and the mystery of God in the flesh. He is the rewarder. He's the reward. Jesus. And as a friend reminded me, he said, Kirk, that's, he shows himself differently to different people, and he shows his majesty and his power and his glory in different ways. Faith's prize is Christ. In becoming a man, the word bridged, the word Jesus bridged not only the abyss between cre creator and creature, but between holiness and sin. In Jesus, God permanently joined himself with us, becoming a creature himself, united forever with our race as a kinsman redeemer, the Old Testament says. Kinsman redeemer, which means this. Get a load of this. Rich big brother. All the resources are for those who love him. Friends in Christ, come, let us adore him. Let's ponder faith. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you grateful that Jesus came in the flesh. His coming divided history forever before he came, and now we mark it out in the years of your existence, King Jesus. You came to give us purpose. You came and promised that you would give inexhaustible power by your spirit. You came that we might inherit more immortality living with you. This only comes by faith. We live by faith and we die clinging to this faith, not naively or foolishly or stupidly or thoughtlessly, but through your grace and your powerful working of the Holy Spirit. So how can we thank you enough other than to say, give us these ears to hear and give us feet and hands and mouths and ears for action and ears to hear you say and whisper your words to us individually. And all God's people said, amen. Well, let me say at the beginning of this message, this is quite an intimidating and daunting subject. As I was getting ready for this message, I kind of had to chuckle as I thought, I'm going to leave a lot out. But I have hoped, and, uh, but my prayer is, that a few points will stick and be like Velcro that you just can't get off your heart 
and that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you will chuckle later in the day, or maybe tomorrow, or maybe midweek, and you'll say, well, that's what it means. So here's where we're going to go. We're going to look over the fence for this message. First of all, we're going to look at the uniqueness of biblical faith, the uniqueness. Secondly, we're going to look at faith's object. And thirdly, we're going to look at faith's purpose, faith's uniqueness, its object, and its purpose. And so I invite you to follow along. And if you're watching us online, we're so glad that you've joined us. I want to encourage you to download the bulletin. I think you'll get more out of it. And these are just a few things that as we worship and adore him about faith, we can understand. First of all, faith is unnatural, and faith at the same time is supernatural. Let me explain that again. Faith is unnatural, and faith is supernatural. Biblical faith isn't something you work up. Uh, You sometimes hear this, people say, uh, you have lots of faith. I wish I had as much faith as you're as you do. But faith is unnatural. And here's the reason why we can say that. Faith is unnatural because we have a sin problem. Sin lives in us. Sin is living in you and me, and it's so easy to go there. It's so easy to judge. It's so easy to be selfish, to be prideful, to compare, to judge by asking, why did that person do that? Why were they so stupid? What is wrong with that person? It is so easy to do that. You could just do that. It's super, like, natural to do that. In the, in the book of Romans, there's just this one passage of Scripture, and if you, wanna, you have a Bible, you should probably open this Bible up and, or a pew Bible, and you'll find something in the book of Romans chapter 7. Now, here's uh, a quick sum, summation of the book of Romans. It's kind of the baseline of Christian teaching. It's the first of the letters. We spent many, many weeks in 2019 walking through the book of Romans, and I think I probably encourage you to do this, but if you have your own Bible, you want to turn to Romans chapter 7, and then take out a pen and start circling, beginning in, the, in around verse 14 through verse 20. You want to circle the first person pronouns, meaning I and me. And soon you will find out that these, what, seven verses, they're all about me, 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 you, 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 we're in trouble, trouble. 26 times you will see I, me, I, me, I, me, I, me. And, and, and it kind of twists around this. The stuff I don't want to do, that's the stuff I do, and the stuff I don't want to do, that's what I do. And verse 14 says, 17 says this, as it is, it's no longer I myself who do it, but it's sin living in me. Verse 20 says, not if, not if what I do, now if I do not do what I want to do, it's no longer I who do it, but it's sin living in me, and that does it. It is so easy to let our sin nature go. Here's what happened on Wednesday. I had a full day on Wednesday, and so um, I... I I was going to go out and grab a bite to eat. I had a lunch appointment. I had a, we had things going on here at church. And so um, I don't know about you, but we use coupons. And so I see it as a sign of God if I have a buy one, get one free, okay? That's just a sign of God that says, Kirk, go eat out. That's how I've interpreted that. 
So Julie gave me some coupons for Subway. I went to the Subway that's near our house, and, and it's buy one, get one free. So I'm going, ooh, I'm the Christian steward. This is so great. This is, I, I'm going to do it. So I load up the sandwich, and I just pack in the cucumbers and the onions. I'm thinking, I'm going to burp all day. This is great. Put on the stinky sauce. It's coming. I'm thinking, oh, this is wonderful. This is wonderful. And I got the buy one, get one free coupon. So I'm stewarding, right? I get to the end, and the young guy goes, put the coupon underneath the scanner. I scan it. Uh, doesn't work. Coupon scans again. Uh, doesn't work. The guy says to me, I don't think we take your coupons here. I show him the coupon. I said, it's right, right here. I said it nicer. I said, well, it says it right here. Uh, good in all Eau Claire and Chippewa. Well, I, don't think it, I don't think it works here. And all I can hear is this little voice from my kids saying very clearly, as the Holy Spirit directed them, don't be a jerk, Dad. Not, <laughs> not all the time do I take the high road. This time I did. Why is faith unnatural? Because we have a heart problem. and Because we're also in a spiritual battle. We're in a war zone. The enemy of your soul that great enemy of our soul called Satan, the liar, the deceiver, he hates your guts, he wants to chop your head off, he wants to damn you and send you to hell, and that will be until the last day you die. You find that throughout the scriptures, from Genesis 3 to Revelation 20. You are in a battle for the enemy of your soul that hates your guts. That's why faith is unnatural, but faith is supernatural. Faith is more than biblical literacy, listen, religious recognition or church morality. Faith radically alters the way you live. Faith is supernatural. God comes down, God declares, God moves, God acts, God does the supernatural, whether it's for an army or for it's a little girl who's scared out of her wits. So we say this supernatural as contrasted with Gideon's confession and Mary's recognition. Gideon's confession. Let me just give you a quick synopsis of a guy by the name of Gideon in the Old Testament. He's a judge. You find him in the book of Judges, and the theme for the book of Judges is the children of Israel rebelled. They, God brought judgment, brought them some relief, and they rebelled again. It's this incredible cycle. And one of the judges is a guy by the name of Gideon. We know him famously as Gideon Bibles. Well, an angel of the Lord comes to Gideon and, and, and finds Gideon doing indoor, outdoor work inside because he was afraid of the enemies. And the angel of the Lord tells Gideon, you're going to deliver the people of God from these enemies you're afraid of. And the angel of the Lord looks at Gideon and says, Mighty valor, men of valor, great warrior. And it would be appropriate for Gideon to go, You talking to me? I am the least in my family. My tribe is the least of Israel. God will strengthen you. He goes on to say, I need a sign. Now, eventually, God uses him in a powerful way, but this is 
the Lord God Almighty who's declaring who you are, Gideon. It's a confession to say that can't be true. Then you compare that to Mary, the Virgin Mary. As the angel comes to Mary and says, Blessed are you, for the Son of God is going to be birthed inside you. And she says in Luke chapter 1, verse 34, How can this be? I've never been with a man. I've had no sexual relationships. How can this be? And the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and you will conceive a child. And this is what Mary says. The contrast, listen to what she said. I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me according to your word. I am the Lord's servant because you said that. How you're going to do it supernaturally, I don't know. Doubt and envy and worrying about life is way easier. But salvation is a gift and faith is a gift. Faith is supernatural. If you're sitting here this morning thinking, I'm no one special. I don't know how the situation I'm in or the relationship I'm in or the work situation is going to work out. You might be thinking, God, you're going to have to do something with strength and grace and filling that I can't do. If that's you, let me just say, friend in Christ, daughter of the King, son of the Most High, you're in a good spot. could watch and see what the Lord will do with the servant girl or what he will do with you. Yes, faith is the key because faith is linked to a who, and that's the second one. The second point I wanted to share with you, faith is linked to a who. Hope is a who, but faith is linked to a who, and that person is Jesus Christ. Far and away, that person is Jesus Christ. For those who are followers of Christ, you were bought with a price. You've been called to the work of the kingdom. So obey it. Obey the king's commands and you live your life as a song, as a worship song of gratitude. Let the Lord play you as an instrument. Several years ago, we did a series here at church called God Has Shaped You. S-H-A-P-E, it's an acronym. And everyone is shaped differently. The S stands for spiritual gifts. You have spiritual gifts that I don't have, but I have some that you don't have. H is your passion. What beats in you? What beats in you? The A is ability. Some of you can do some things that I just go, how do, how do you do that? I met with my nephew a month ago, and he gave a, a speech, and he goes, man, I don't know how you do that, Pastor Uncle Kirk. I said, well, I can speak in front of people, but Ryan, you're an entrepreneur, and you have business stuff that makes me go, how'd you think of that? You have a personality that's unique to you, and you have experiences, background, education. Yes, some of it's broken, but that uniquely shapes who you are. And as a child of the king, as a daughter of the king, as a son of the most high, we work from courage that the Holy Spirit gives to us. And because faith is linked to a who, it's a it's an antidote to two conditions that we have called PH2 and ST2. PH2 and ST2. Let me explain what those are, but first let me just give you just a real quick Christmas plug. I make no money off this, okay? 
This is not like a, a Ponzi scheme or anything. But if people are asking you for Christmas gifts and book and ideas, buy this book. It's called 40 Days of Faith by Paul David Tripp. It's been so helpful. His last two books, the last two messages have been super helpful. It's printed in your worship bulletin. You can get it on Amazon or any online stores if you want. But he was really helpful in this particular message in last week's as well, and I want to give him credit for that. But as I read it, I thought, you're talking about a, an, a condition called DH2, called don't have to as a follower of Christ. DH2, you don't have to fear that you'll, you don't have what it takes because Jesus gives you all you need to do what he's called you to do. DH2, you don't have to worry that you'll be left alone because Jesus has made a place where he dwells. His address is your heart. DH2, you don't have to live with regret because all your past sins have been forgiven by Jesus and his grace. DH2, you don't have to search for identity, meaning, and purpose because he has made you his child and called you to his purpose. DH2, you don't have to worry about the future because all the mysteries of what is to come are held in his, Jesus's sovereign hands, and that's a beautiful hand to be held in. Amen? The works of Jesus are complete, and you are uniquely called not to sit on the sidelines, not to watch other people do the works of the ministry, but God has something specifically that he wants you to do in celebration for what he's done. If DH2 is you don't have to, ST2 is supposed to do. You're, you don't, you, or excuse me, stop trying. ST2 is stop trying. I mix that up. I apologize. Stop trying to earn God's favor. Rather, your work is a hymn of thanks for the favor that Christ achieved on your behalf. Stop trying to wonder if you've worked enough, done enough, good enough. Stop trying about fearing that you'll mess up and get booted out of the family of God. Stop trying that you'll be haunted by a question or whether you've done enough for long enough. Let this just wash over your soul, child of God. The bridge of impossibility has been walked by Christ. The job is done. Your relationship with God is eternally secure. Now in thankfulness, go and do his work in faith. No one had any idea that God's intention was to send his son to die. Certainly the Jews understood that he was going to send a Messiah. But their understanding was that he was going to rebuild Israel into the superpower that it was during David's time. That was the intent. But for God to send his son to die on our behalf? How do you get your head around that? Someone would be eventually killed. And you see Abraham's story fulfilled in Simeon's prophecy. What do I mean by that? Well, if you go back to the book of Hebrews, the one that I read at the beginning of the message, Hebrews 11 is called the Hall of Faith. And it lists all these men and women who by faith God rewarded. And the one that was, had the most space and the most press, if you will, is a guy by the name of Abraham, who when he was 100 years old, finally, 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 finally had a son. 
And then God, in Genesis chapter 22, asks him to sacrifice that son. In Genesis chapter 22, verse 8, we hear that Abraham says, God will provide. God will provide the lamb. And the more you read Genesis 22, and I think the, the older you get, as, whether that's a, as a father or a grandpa or a, a man, you go, what did God, what was he asking I, Abraham to do? The knife is ready to be plunged, and God, he's ready to kill his boy. And by the way, do you know what the boy's name was? His name was ha 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 his name was laughter. Is this God's sick joke? And as he's about to plunge the knife into this boy, this young man who's laying on the altar, God stops him, and he provides a ram. A lamb is coming. A lamb is coming. Just kind of a foreshadowing. Fast forward maybe about 3,000 years. And the Bible tells us that in Luke chapter 2, 34 through 35, you want to get there you can get there and turn over we just get a front we get a we get a front row seat of of what happens for jewish parents here's after the birth in bethlehem mary and joseph being good jews wanted to proceed with what you do when you have a baby boy and that is eight days later you bring him for dedication for circumcision in jerusalem at the temple You're, you do that and them being righteous and good Jews, that's what they did. And so that day, they, they made a four-mile trip. That's how far it is from Bethlehem to the Temple of Jerusalem. They made a four-mile trip. They, they walked to Jerusalem. And then the Bible tells us that they interacted with a guy by the name of Simeon who was godly, God-fearing, and was waiting for the day that God had said that he would meet the Messiah. Now, tradition, Jewish tradition says that Simeon ran across the temple. Have you ever seen an old man run? It's not pretty, okay? And so he probably had to lift his robe because he had robe, because he had a robe. Had, and so he showed off his old man legs. And he runs over to this couple. He runs over to this couple and he picks up the baby. And he says, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace, for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for the revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel, and I'm holding it. I can go home now. I can go home now. I can go home now. Now, good, probably a good bet that Simeon had never met Mary and Joseph, okay? And so... <laughs> The Bible is so great when it's so blunt. It says this. What's the next thing? The children, the child's father and mother marveled at what was said. You think? <laughs> I don't know if that's what the Greek means, but Greek means, but it had to be. <laughs> what? I mean, they had seen angels. They had, they had the shepherds come, and this too? And then Simeon says something that is the fulfillment of what happened with Abraham and Isaac. He said to Mary, his mother, the child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. And then he turned to Mary and he said, 
And a sword will pierce your soul because a sword will pierce his side. Mom, you're going to have a pain that goes in your soul as you see your son whipped and beaten and betrayed and denied and it will go into your soul because you will see a sword go in his side. It shouldn't be a surprise. It shouldn't be a surprise. Because Isaiah whispered it 700 years earlier in Isaiah 56.1. The prophet Isaiah prophesies something, and, and when you take a look at it, you've got to go, now, why, why did you say it that way? Isaiah 56.1 says this. This is what the sovereign Lord says. So it's a quote from God. It's a quote from God. Preserve justice and do what is right. And then the next two words you go, why is that in there? For my salvation is coming soon. What do you need to be saved from, Lord? And my righteousness will be revealed. It's Jesus. He's coming. He's the subject. He's the focus. He's the main theme of all Christmas. So when people say something like this, Oh, it's the spirit of Christmas when our whole family gets together. That's not the spirit of Christmas. I'm not trying to be like Ebenezer Scrooge, jerk. But the spirit of Christmas is in the nativity. It's all about the kids and happiness. No, it's all about him. It's the one who came. It's the one who I plead with you. I plead with you. If you do not know Christ, if you've not asked him into your heart, if you've not confessed his name and called upon him this Christmas, I plead with you, do so. He came and suffered and died on the cross for you. Between the, cro between the manger and the empty tomb is the cross, the one and only event that takes care of our sins forever. Finally, we adore him. Finally, we adore him by understanding that faith alone saves. Faith alone saves. This is a, an Old Testament truth that is, is found not in the Old Testament, but it's played out in the New Testament. It's played out in the New Testament. This little phrase that says the righteous will live by faith has been reduced to one. So if, you, if you're a numbers person, You'll, you'll love this illustration. And if you're not a numbers person, it won't be a real long illustration, okay? In the third century, a Jewish scholar by the name of Rabbi Simla noted that Moses in the Old Testament gave 613 prohibitions and positive commands. That's a lot. 365 don'ts. One don't for every day. That's a lot. So you take this massive list of do's and don'ts and it's been reduced to 11, 11 of Moses' commands in Psalm 15. So it went from 613 to 11. First time I thought that, I thought 11. I can handle 11. That's like a grocery list that I can make sure I can pretty much, maybe I could do. But then if you press on and go into the scriptures, Isaiah made them that 613 went from 11 to 6 in Isaiah 33, 14 through 15. And then Micah 
reduced them to three in Micah 6.8. What does the Lord ask you to do? To walk humbly, to love justice. And a third one that I just forgot. It's really good. And then Habakkuk reduces it to one. The righteous will live by faith. And then Jesus came on the scene. And he took that phrase, the righteous will live, live by faith, and he reduced it to two words. Follow me. Follow me, daughter. Follow me, son. When Jesus came, he changed everything. The idea of the righteous will live by faith, it's picked up in the New Testament in Romans 1.17 and Galatians 3.11, then later the writer for the book of Hebrews 10.38. And this idea that the righteous will live by faith, the righteous will live by faith, is called justification by faith. It's the cornerstone of the Reformation. And in my master's degree, we, we unpacked that and we unpacked that and we understood that justification was the payment of sin and it's the payment of death and it's the payment of the penalty and it's a legal word. But sometimes you understand a legal word and this is what happened to me this week. It's like, oh, that's what it means. You understand something by saying what it's not. And living by faith what the opposite of that is condemnation. Condemnation. All the things that you mess up on. All the things you screw up on. All the things that are on the naughty list. You mess up on that. Justification by faith is what Christ has done. And so this Old Testament truth comes true this way. In John chapter 1, verse 29, Jesus' cousin, John the Baptist, sees Christ coming down the banks of the Jordan River. How much time they spent together, separated by nine months, we don't know. But when he saw Jesus coming down the banks of the Jordan River, he said, there is the Lamb of God. There is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. This is the hope that we have. Our faith is in him. He's referring to a powerful scene that happened in the, Jewish, in the Jewish community. One, in fact, that we practice every month when we take the Lord's Supper. It's the remembering of the Passover lamb. This event that took place that God said to the children of Israel, I want you to take a, a lamb and I want you to put it on the doorposts of your home, and the death angel will pass over that. And it was all a pointing to who Christ would come. You get it? The Passover lamb was all pointing to Jesus, and that's what John the Baptist was pointing to. He said, there's the Passover lamb. There it is. There it is. That's the hope for our generation, and it's the hope for 2021. So sometimes you got to see a picture to get it. So I had a friend of mine, she, her son David is fighting for his life with COVID. He's on a ventilator, and so if you remember to pray for David, pray for him. I've known this gal for 40 years, and she's just heartbroken. And so as she's posting some things on Facebook, she shared this powerful, powerful picture. And I thought, oh, Lord, I never want to forget this picture, and I wanted to share this with you. It's a picture of the doorpost. 
The Lord did not check who's inside the house if they were worthy. He checked for the blood on the doorpost. None of us is worthy. Only the blood of Jesus can cover us. Amen? Yes. I'm in the house. And the blood of Christ is over my house. It's not because I'm worthy, but because he's worthy. He's worthy. And I'm with him. And then humbly, I can say this, Jesus said, he's with me. So, as God's people, as the church family at Bethesda, we don't just hear messages and go, great sermon, or okay sermon, or keep trying sermon. We eagerly respond. So here's a few for you. Ponder faith. How does it encourage you that faith rests in a completed act? That's the completed act, which gives the Holy Spirit courage to act. Maybe you don't have faith in Christ. I'm not talking about a religious thing. I'm talking about depending on this one who really was born, really died, and really rose again, and frankly, really is coming back on lap two. Ponder that. Pray for the next couple weeks. Pray for the next couple weeks for family, for friends, who do not yet know Christ, the one who is faithful this Christmas. Pray, pray, pray. Skip a meal. Fast and pray. Do the hard work where nobody sees it and you are pleading with the heavens for God to move and touch a friend. All of us have friends. All of us have family members. All of us have neighbors. All of us have friends who don't know Christ. Do the hard work and pray first. Pray, 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 pray. And do hard work of prayer. And then the third thing is invite them. These postcards that are in your worship bulletins, they are being sent out. But invite people. Invite people. They've said that when you invite three people, one is probably going to take you up on it. That's not bad odds. It's not bad odds at all. And take a picture. We have places that you can take pictures. You can certainly take a family picture here with this beautiful tree and how Aaron has decorated the sanctuary. Take a picture here. Or take a picture out at the old school a nativity scene that's in the fellowship hall. Or take a picture at the banner and post it on your social media and say, come with me. Sit with me. Would you come with me to church at 3, 5, 7, 10? Just post it and see what God will do. By the way, you've done the work on being on your knees, right? Oh, Father, our country desperately needs Jesus. We need Jesus. So start with the church. Start with me. Start with my family. Start in my home. Start in this place. Let us be quick to repent. And then with gratitude, quick to say thank you. Extend your kingdom Extend the fame and name of Jesus. Build your kingdom. Build your church all over the Chippewa Valley. We desperately need you. Christ is the healer. Christ is the redeemer. Christ is what Christmas is about. In Jesus' name.
Let's stand and sing that one more song.